You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, I wanted to let you know, if you don't know already, we are one church with multiple locations. Uh, we do have a campus in, obviously here in Cornelius, but we have one in East Lincoln and Statesville as well. And this morning, Pastor Farrell is ministering at our East Lincoln campus. And uh, But we have the opportunity to hear Paul Glenn this morning. Uh, so he's here to minister the word, so let's welcome him as he comes. So good morning. Um, so as I walked, just about to walk up on stage, my wife goes, you're not going to say anything about our family, are you? <laughs> well, I wasn't, but now I am. Um, today is my 29th wedding anniversary to this most beautiful woman right over here. And since I'm in trouble for that, would y'all tell her how lucky she is on your way out? (laughs) Most common question I get is, how's your kids? So let me just tell you really quickly. Celia just graduated from High Point University about uh, four weeks ago. Double major, uh, journalism and Spanish. She's looking for a job right now. So if you know something in kind of advertising, social media things, she's really great at writing all that. And I'm, I would really appreciate you telling me that because I'm trying to get her off of my payroll and onto yours. <laughs> Addison is a, uh, he'll be a senior at UNC Wilmington this year. Uh, he's a vice president of his fraternity. Um, he's working this summer there in a medical device company. He, he manufactures medical devices right now. And um, it's funny. He says stuff to me I've never heard him say before. He said to me, the other day, he says, Dad. He said, I am so frustrated with these people that I work with. They are so lazy. And I'm thinking, who are you? What have you done with my son? A pastor left. Last week we were in Seattle and a pastor said that every time he uses his family in a... uh, from the pulpit, he gives them 20 bucks. At this rate, I figure I owe each of my kids about $1,000. So since I'm running up a tab, I might as well just keep going. So I have this funny story I'm going to tell you about Addison. So Addison um, is, doesn't have a meal plan during the summer. He lives off campus, but he still uses a meal plan. But anyway, he doesn't. So he, he has these restaurants that he likes. And he, my son loves Asian food, loves it. He has this one place that he goes to about three times a week. And uh, there's a first-generation woman who like, answers the phone. And she always says, dine in or take out. And so he calls in and he says, hey, um, how are you? She goes, dine in or take out. He goes, no, how are you? I want to find out how you are. She goes, dine in or take out. <laughs> So now he realizes he's got the pot stirred. So if you know him, he's like, oh, okay, well, so how's business? You know, she goes, dine in or take out. He goes, no, really, I want to know about you. I want to find out about you. I mean, you're, you guys are doing such a great job and you're important to me. I eat there all the time. I just want to know about you. How are you? She goes, dine in or take out. She goes, I know you understand me. She goes, dine in or take out, boy. 
you know, so he goes, okay, okay, what do you suggest? She goes, take out. <laughs> oh my gosh. When he went to college, he changed his name. He changed his name to Paul. Um, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and uh, his mom didn't like it so much. Um, but here, he's Addison. So he's Addison to family and uh, probably his church family. But growing up uh, in school, he became Gibby. That became his, his nickname. So depending on who, who asks about how he's doing, I, can, I know where they were in his life, you know. But when he went to college, he wanted to become Paul. And so... We're, um, we asked, well, why do you want to do that? And he, and he said, he says, Dad, you know, there's just some seasons of life you would just rather walk away from. You want to be something different. You want to grow into be something you can be proud of. How many of you have ever done something that you so regret? I'm like, oh, yeah, don't put your hands up. <laughs> That you so regret that you wish you could change your name and just walk away. I have. And I've never talked about it publicly. And in fact, this morning is going to be the first time my wife's ever heard about it. But I'm going to talk about it. Because I've said so many times when I preach at different times in different campuses, I say I will never run for president. Though I could do a great job. (laughs) Because I don't want to take my family through some of the stuff that they'll stir up and pull out. And I know you say that enough times that people go like, what did he do? Right? Some of you are like, I heard. I heard he sold drugs. <laughs> Pastor Justin heard that I shot somebody. <laughs> Today I'm going to tell you, and I know some of you are sitting right on the edge of your seat thinking, what a great day to come to church. <laughs> When I was 17 years old, I authored and printed some things in my school newspaper making light of the Holocaust. I have no excuses, and I'm not going to make an excuse. I was ignorant, but ignorance is not an excuse. I will tell you that growing up in rural Texas, I only ever met two Jewish people in my entire life until after I graduated college. I, uh, they don't teach uh, a lot about the Holocaust in high school history class in rural Texas. Um, and for some reason, I had it in my mind that the Jews were the people who crucified Jesus anyway. I never counted the fact that he was Jewish and the disciples were Jewish too. And I made light. I was ignorant. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I had a teacher who called me out on it. The irony is that after I graduated college, I went to work for an all-Jewish accounting firm here in Charlotte. (laughs) 70% of our clients were Jewish. My first boss, a partner in the firm, would sit with me And would talk to me about the law and the prophets as he learned it. It was amazing. My second boss was one of our clients. He was Jewish. His wife was Jewish. His whole family was Jewish. 
while I worked for him, I met his rabbi, a man who totally boggles some of my theology even to this day. I still cannot explain how a man who is not a Christian walks in what I would perceive to be the power of the Holy Spirit. I have seen the man pray for people and see them healed. I have seen him give words of wisdom and words of knowledge. And I can't explain that with my theology, but I can tell you this. He loves God in a deep, deep way. And God is real to him and manifest through him. I've been able to see more accurate films in life now. I've seen Schindler's List. Susan and I have actually went to Amsterdam. We've actually visited and been in Anne Frank's house and seen where she lived, where they hid, and what their conditions were. Because of my bosses and those situations, I've actually been uh, an invited guest and participant at bris and bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and seders. I've even participated in a week-long shiva, which is the, the morning when one of the family members passes. They mourn for a week before they bury the body. I mourned with my boss over the death of his mother, who was an amazing woman. I had a client. His name was Solomon Bikovitz here in Charlotte. He escaped from a Nazi concentration camp, made it to Cuba before he emigrated to here in the U.S. in the 50s. And he has the tattoos, the numeric tattoos on his arms to prove it. I sat with him and I listened to his experiences. What he saw. What he experienced. Today, I deeply regret the things that I said and the things that I alluded to in print those years ago. And in no way would I ever want them found or read again publicly in any way for the fear of what they would wound the people who I've come to know and people who I've come to love. I believe that part of my journey, part of God's plan and my development included him taking me And placing me in those places with those people so that he could reach in and redeem something inside of me and restore it. See, but that's the beauty of the gospel and it's where we start with in your notes this morning. The good news of the gospel is that our God redeems and restores. He takes the messes of our lives and he turns them into miracles. He can take the things that we would never, ever want to take glory in. And he uses them for good and for the good of others. This morning we're going to continue this sermon series called Be Free. And we're going to look at uh, our text in Galatians chapter 1 again. We're actually going to pick up where we dropped off last week. And we're going to talk about transformation. Galatians chapter 1 verse 11 The Apostle Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He's alluding to his desert experience. (laughs) For you've heard of my previous way in the life of Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. 
I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for traditions of my father's. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see who the apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Before Paul became the great apostle, Paul, and leader in the church, he was known as Saul. He was this arch enemy of the church. He had a passion to eliminate Christianity and kill Christians. Acts chapter 8 tells us a little bit of the backstory as it relates to the stoning of Stephen. And it says this, it says that on that day when they stoned Stephen, persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except all of the apostles, all of the Christians except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned for him deeply, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So what we're seeing here is this Paul has a perspective and he's out for destruction. So we find that Paul is now this bounty hunter, if you will, of an unscrupulous religious group of leaders. And he's going from house to house and he's dragging out men and women and putting them in prison. What we see of Paul here is a few things about him and about his circumstances. And I want to talk to you just briefly about a couple of those. The first is, is this. Paul was a promoter of the law. Anybody ever been a promoter of the law? He was advancing in Judaism, it says, beyond everybody else his age. And he was extremely zealous. I don't know if you've ever been extremely zealous for something I have. Have you ever taken the position that this is the way it is and no one's going to change your mind? That's zealousness for whatever that is. Anybody ever been zealous for Christianity and the way that it's supposed to be? I have. It's another thing I'm not completely proud of either. See, I once used to be in the camp that said, you can't go to movies, you can't go dancing, you can't go any place where you can play cards, you can't drink, you can't smoke. And if you do any of those, you're going straight to hell, you're not passing go, you're not collecting $200. That's being zealously religious. And I have been there before. Paul was there. He was a promoter of the law, promoting that it had to be this way. This is the way you did it. The second thing was he was a persecutor of the church. 
In verse 13, it says that Paul tried, basically, he was intensely persecuting the church and he tried to destroy it, is what it says. Again, Acts chapter 9 gives us another uh, insight into that. And it says that Saul, while he was still breathing out these murderous threats, is the way it calls it, against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest. That's the reason he was on his way to Damascus. He went to the high priest and asked for letters that he could go to every synagogue in Damascus and start pulling out the Christians and taking them to prison. But here's the awesome part. While Paul was on his way to Damascus, he had what I call the first ever come to Jesus meeting. He got knocked off of his high horse, literally, really quickly. And ultimately, brings us to the idea that he became a preacher of God's grace. Paul says in our text that when God was pleased to reveal his son in me, can I just say that God is pleased to reveal his son, not just to us, but in us. And that's different. It says that when God was pleased to reveal his son in him, that he began to preach among the Gentiles. His immediate response, and he goes on to basically says was yes. So how does this happen? How does, um, how does this whole thing happen, this transformation? Well, it happens by, by God's grace, by God's power, and by God's provision is how it happens. Specifically, you say, well, but how did this happen to Paul? Or Saul, in this case. And I would say to you, how did it happen to Paul in this case? God uses circumstances. God uses events. He knocks people off their high horse. He puts them in places of people where you come to meet people and you realize, oh, wow. There's something inside of me that needs to be transformed. But ultimately... It happens not by the people or the circumstances or the realization. It, it happens by the grace and the power and the provision that we find in what we celebrated this morning in the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Because of Him, because of His work, that's where we find the transformation. This morning I want to talk to you about the benefits of this work Because of God's grace, power, and provision, you and I can have our past forgiven and have a brand new start on life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. How many of you are thankful for the new has come? Amen. Amen. You're telling me that I can have a new start without changing my name? Yes. You're telling me that I can have a new start and I don't have to be ashamed of my past sins anymore? Yes. You're telling me that I don't have to worry about my past foolishness and the things that I don't want anybody to know about? Yes. Because of the transformation found in Him. The freedom that He gives Yes, 
yes and yes. Yes to all of it. The second thing is your life can be transformed as you embrace the refining of the Holy Spirit. We have to embrace Him. We have to let the Spirit do its work. We see in verse 16 and 17 that Paul immediately goes to the Arabian desert. He has his own desert experience. Like Moses and Jesus and many others before, it's where his transformation took place. Now I would love to to get over here and just pursue a rabbit, but I'm just going to say it this way. Before any of us will ever stand on the stage of prominence, we must find a place in the fields of obscurity for God to do his transforming work in us. Goliath, David never stood on the field of battle of prominence until he had spent time in the plains of obscurity with the Lord. But there's a transformation that happens in these places. We have to embrace the work that Jesus does in us, in our lives. But not just we personally, but we the people. In Romans 8, it says that there was a great persecution that broke out against everyone. It scattered them through Judea and Samaria. This transformation, this began, this refinement began in the church because of the persecution, because of the different, but they were embracing the gospel. They weren't willing to sacrifice it. You and I have to embrace the refining work to see transformation come in our lives. The third point is this. God can work through your past to bring hope and help for others. It's really hard to see that sometimes until much later. But I'm telling you, God works in us and he takes those things that are in our past. And as he transforms us, we now have the ability to see life differently. We now have the ability to speak into other people's lives. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9 that Saul, when he came back from the desert, that he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And that right away he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. He wasn't going to drag Christians out. Now he's going to boldly preach that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a huge transformation that was in him to the degree that it shocked everyone. So what he came to destroy, now he's coming to build up. And everyone said, isn't this the guy who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem? Didn't he come here to take prisoners to the chief priests? Acts chapter 9 also says this, that Saul grew more and more powerful and he baffled the Jews who were living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. See, God, when he transformed Saul, he took everything that Saul knew, all of the law, all the prophets, everything that he had learned, everything that he had understood, everything that he was pursuing zealously, he took that and he says, now I'm going to let you use that to prove, right? The transformation in us can be useful. Our past can be helpful for others. In fact, Galatians chapter 1 says that when all of this happened, that it went viral. It says, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. See, the rabbi Saul became the apostle Paul. And he used the knowledge of the law to proclaim this great hope of the gospel. That's what happens in our transformation. 
And our fourth and final point this morning is this. There is no limit to what God can do through one person who is fully committed. When we allow the transformation to happen in us and we become fully committed, not just committed to come and go to church, we become fully committed to who Christ is and allow his work to be in us. And it's not about our preferences. It's not about what we want. It's about his work in us. When we become fully committed, there's no limit to what he can do through us. See, we put this in your notes. The Apostle Paul's life is a testimony to the power of God to transform a person's heart and redirect a life to be used in amazing ways. But can I say this to you too? Paul's life. It's a testimony to the power of God to transform a person's heart and redirect a life to be used in ways that still today boggle his mind. And here's the great news. There's no difference in the work of God for the Saul who became Paul or for this Paul or for you. The transformation, the freedom that comes in that, it's available to all of us. If you would, would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to pray in just a minute and I want to tell you who I want to pray for. Just as I have not publicly ever talked about things that I'm not proud of, and there's others, I would never presume that in a room like this that there aren't people who are doing the same thing that I did. There's just things you just would rather walk away from. But if not every day, very often you think about it and you hope that no one ever finds out. Can I tell you, you're not living in the freedom that Christ designed for us to live. If that's you. So this morning, I want to pray with you. That you really walk in the freedom that God designed. So with every head bowed, I just want to know who I'm praying for. If that's you and you feel that way, you, you, You've lived with the shame of something. You know you're saved even, but you know there's something you've never really wanted other people to know. And it in some ways haunts you a little bit. If that's you this morning, today's your day of freedom. Once and for all, would you just raise your hand? Yes, yes, yes. You could put them down. Yes, thank you. Wow, thank you. I love it when the Holy Spirit stirs up courage in a room. Because he's about to set some people free from the past and what it haunts you by. This morning I'm going to pray for you. Father, this morning we thank you for the truth of your gospel. Lord, we're thankful for the gift of life that you gave that we celebrated earlier today in the blood and body of our Savior. 
Lord, some of us have not been living in the freedom, in the full transformation. God, we've embraced salvation, but either we've not fully embraced transformation or we've just, we don't fully understand the work of it. And God, for these who've raised their hands, Lord, I pray that they would fully experience the transformation of the Holy Spirit, not only in their lives, but in their minds. Lord, I pray the day that the enemy would never, ever again be able to Make them worry, feel ashamed, condemned. Lord, that's not a work of the cross. And today we pray freedom for them. We pray transformation. God, we pray that they would walk in the way that you designed, that we would be free, free in the gospel. Lord, today we bless them in your name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.